The CEO of Box joins us to break down a wild week of AI news and the state of technology. With Meta, Apple, and Microsoft all making waves, you're going to want to hear about that and more, all coming up after the break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today is Aaron Levy. He's the CEO of Box. He is a friend of the show. I think it's your fourth appearance, Aaron. And every time you're here, it's always just huge news going on. So this week is no different. Welcome to the show. I think you uh, certainly chose a good time for a uh, for a technology podcast, given everything going on in the world. So there's uh, probably every week is pretty crazy. Absolutely. It's funny because we spoke last time we spoke was like the week that ChatGPT came out or pretty, pretty close after it was launched. And now we have like AI news every day. Something big is happening and all the big tech companies are jumping in and really making some waves. So why don't we just start with the big news of the week, which is that well, there's multiple stories, but this is the one that really caught my eye, which is that Meta is open sourcing its Llama 2 model. Yeah. Now, I think that like, you know, some people have, everyone's like looking for an ulterior motive right here. Like everyone's like, this is like a, you know, Mark Zuckerberg really sticking it to the competition. I don't fully understand how that's happening, but maybe you have a better idea of what's going on. Um, well, so I'll give you the um, uh, the consensus theory about the maybe sticking it to the competition, and then and then a more you know uh, just maybe philanthropic interpretation with with some self interest. Um, so so the the maybe the maybe in reverse order, um, you know, uh, uh, Facebook formerly Meta now I think actually has consistently released um, open source technology and frameworks uh, for the industry. Uh, to, to leverage um, in their in their history, we use a bunch of technology that uh, that came out of Facebook. Um, I think it's been a core philosophy of that organization um, to always kind of contribute software back, or you know, data center design, infrastructure design, um, you know, back to the community. And uh, the, the tech industry, I think, has always benefited from from their open source approach. Now, um, you know. That, that both is great for all technology companies. It's also great for them because um, you tend to see a sort of a flywheel where the best talent wants to work in the companies where you can do leading research, you can open source your technology, AI uh, in particular. Um, you know, you can tend to attract the best AI talent if there is an element toward, uh, toward a, a more research-oriented, open-oriented approach. Um, and so I think that's super attractive. They can get great talent. They can also, you know, make sure that they're uh, that they're, you know, sort of, you know, providing more, uh, more, more kind of technology, uh, you know, shared practices across the industry. So that's all that's all great. Um, now on the on the more pure competitive dynamics, um, you know, I think there's an element which is um, uh, w- w- which is on the margin if if you can sort of reduce the proprietary nature of your competition's uh, technology stack. And um, and this idea of sort of commoditizing uh, that for the market, um, then on, on the margin, again, you, you might be able to reduce, you know, you know, some of the value proposition or some of that that competitiveness um, that, uh, that that your competition might have. And um, I think it's probably a little bit of a stretch in AI right now for, for Meta, like there's like to your exact point, um, they're not going to be monetizing the AI directly. They just want, you know, ultimately probably more usage um, of their platforms and AI you know, can be a contributor to that. 
So, um, so I think that's probably the, the one take, which is, well, if they can commoditize something that Google otherwise is going to make proprietary or charge for, um, there's some kind of game theory in that. But I think for the most part, it's probably way more of the, um, you know, Facebook and meta ethos of, of open source technology. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, if you, I think if you look at like Yon as an example, um, you know, they've always been at the forefront of AI research. And so I think it's more consistent with just their, their kind of research and open source, uh, orientation as an organization. So that, that's sort of my, my best take. It, 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 you know, brings in great talent. It puts meta at the top of the, the food chain in terms of leading technology companies. Um, it has everybody sort of, you know, studying their technology, their models, they become more of a standards mm-hmm. bearer, uh, for the industry. I think that that all generally accrues good, good things to the companies that, that do that. Right. So if you're Google, for instance, this, let's just talk about quickly the bad thing or the, the dark use of this. So if you're Google, you're trying to sell your, your version of BART or whatever to people. And if Meta releases it open source, there goes a business line. Yeah. I think if you, I, mean, I, I, like, I, I would guess that they've spent less than like an hour even thinking through that at, at, at Meta, just because they're, they're, the high order bit is, is the, right. is the talent um, and, and just being an, a leading AI company. But but if you sort of draw it out and you say, okay, um, you know, Google makes their money on advertising, Facebook makes their money on advertising, um, uh, you know, you, you, you're competing for ad dollars and attention, you know, on mm-hmm. YouTube and Google search and whatnot. If Google's AI technology is is superior or uh, you know delivers bed, better results for the market, they'll make more money. Um, if you if you kind of you know find a way to sort of make that be an open technology, you know, you on like you can kind of maybe bring down their competitiveness just marginally. But again, I, I really I'm I'm not convinced that this is this is really an affront to to any other major tech company. I think it's just net positive for for Meta as an organization. So yes, let's think a little bit more about the the constructive uses. I mean, is it that Meta releases this and people will then I don't know build a chatbot onto Messenger? I mean, I know that's like the most rudimentary way of thinking about it. But what value accrues to Meta's products in particular if like everybody's all of a sudden building on their large language model? Yeah, well, I think um, uh, so. If you roll back the clock, uh, it was six or seven years ago um, where you know David Marcus Zuck, you know these these folks were on stage saying Messenger was the oh, yes. the future the the future of how you interact with with businesses and commerce, and you would you would say, hey, I want flowers delivered to me, you know, from this shop, and you would you would do that through a chat session. And it really didn't take off if, if, if we're, you know, if we're being honest in terms of actual usage, but they were, they were really early to this idea of, you know, messaging platforms being a, a way that you would interact with, um, with, with vendors and, and potentially people. And so I think this, this wave of large language models probably gives them another chance to get back into that um, mm-hmm. side of the business. You know, I think right now the conversation is probably on chatbots and, and, you know, sort of AI friends as, as it were. Um, I, I, have no, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't guess, um, possibly what, 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 you know, uh, how much meta would, would care or do that, but, but certainly in interacting with businesses and becoming a, a leading interface for interacting with, with AI models, um, you know, WhatsApp, Facebook messenger, uh, Instagram, I think, you know, seem like natural platforms where, uh, where, where one might do that. If this is a modality that continues to persist, um, uh, in terms of how we communicate with these agents. Right. Yeah. And uh, it could be a crucial way. I mean, they still don't, they still have WhatsApp highly under monetized because they don't really do ads there. Yeah. Um, so it, it could potentially, I mean, I remember being at their F8 developer conference. I was a reporter for BuzzFeed and I saw them talking about messaging as the new platform. 
and I really believed in it. And I wrote about it for BuzzFeed. And now I kind of feel a little snake bitten because, wow, like, you know, it turned out that it wasn't just the technology that held people back. Like you couldn't full and well, like booked a book a flight yeah. on the kayak bot, but just people hated the mode of interaction. Yes. They'd much rather like tap a few things on kayaks app and then be good with it. So I, even if this, these bots get so much better, like what, what leads you to believe that this could possibly be different this time? Yeah, well, on, on the snake bitten, uh, to be to be fair, I don't. I mean, I think it was um, it was probably not a malicious snake bite. Um, no, no, I don't think I it think, was malicious. Yeah, but they yeah. sold the vision, <laughs> and was, I like told readers like, "Hey, this is going to happen." And also, I had I had uh, access. I think you must have also uh, to Facebook M, like their digital their uh, messenger assistant that like actually had contractors in the WhatsApp building actually on the other end of it, and that was so mind blowing. It was people. Yeah. But it was assistive and very cool. So I, um, unfortunately, I am, um, I'm like the worst uh, person to ask on this because um, I, I have always been convinced that, that chatbots are just one, hmm. one iteration away from happening. Um, uh, in, in, in 2003 uh, or 2004, I started developing chatbots for AOL Instant Messenger. And so um, uh, there was this wave of, of chatbots. Uh, uh, one was called Smarter Child. Um, oh, yes. And you remember that? And then mm-hmm. you, you, would, you would ask the questions. You'd get like movie theater times and, and whatnot. So, so I, I've like always been, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, red-pilled on, uh, on chatbots. And, um, uh, but to your exact point, the challenge is you're always competing with, with the powerful, you know, uh, with a powerful graphic, you know, graphical user interface where, uh, we're just in two clicks without any, you know, verbose typing. You can get exactly that same answer, and um, and so I, I do actually. I think the jury's out to be to be totally honest on on how, what you know what the form factor ultimately will be uh, for a lot of these AI interactions. Um, and and you know you do see some examples where you'll see a viral video of of somebody interacting with some software via a chatbot, and you're like, holy crap, that's the most amazing thing ever. But then you kind of like you know, you kind of, you know, you flip it and you sort of say, well, actually like how many clicks would that have been on just a normal website? And it's like, okay, that could have just been two, two clicks and, and you could have done the same thing. And so, you know, I think the one, the one challenge we're going to run into on the chatbot craze is often this element of, you don't know what the, the AI bot is able to do. Um, and that makes it, 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 you know, sometimes a complicated paradigm because at least with a graphical interview, uh, user interface, uh, it's really the, the responsibility of the software provider to say sort of here are all your options that, that are available. Here are all the buttons you can click. Here are all the, the things in the menu. Those are the functions that we can provide you. In a chatbot, you can't really, you don't really know in advance what are all the, the sort of functions that that service offers you. Um, and so so you can have a lot of dead ends or a lot of incomplete experiences. And I think that will be the fatigue that consumers end up having in some cases is when they, when they go and try and interact with one of these bots and it doesn't produce the thing that they wanted to do, are you willing to go back to it again and again, if you know that there's a lot of these kind of dead ends? So, so that, that tends to be the problem with, with these chatbot assistants. I think that's probably what messenger and, and WhatsApp and, you know, Facebook has, has sort of run into in the past. Large language models, I think, you know, open up the, the surface area of what they can ultimately solve. Um, but, uh, it's, um, uh, I would say we're just in the very, very starting, you know, kind of period of this. I think, um, it's been fun to watch like Pi and inflection, um, as, as a, as at least, a, you know, one potential outcome of this. And, 
you know, I think, you know, if you listen to Mustafa talk, right, there's, there's this vision of you just be able to, you know, book a book a flight and and this sort of assistant would know exactly, you know, how to do that for you and, and what to do. And um, I, I think that's an incredibly exciting, audacious, ambitious vision that would be amazing for that to happen. Of course, there's going to be some questions, which is, well, a lot of people have these very idiosyncratic preferences or or things where you're going to have to go back and forth with the bot enough times that, that you know, another, you know, again, a just a classic user interface might be a better way to do that. But I'm excited to see all the exploration. I think it's great that we're, we're trying a bunch of, we're, we're kind of pushing the boundaries um, of software and um, and user experience. And I think it's only a net positive for all of us that that there's going to be innovation going in lots of directions. Maybe we look back in five years and we say, okay, you know, we still don't really like doing chat for most of our interaction, but but nevertheless, you know, uh, these large language models uh, are solving a lot of problems behind the scenes because of their kind of reasoning skills and, and logic that they have in them. And that's another kind of outcome that this technology could lead to. Yeah, it could be that it just kind of hangs in the background and then you're like going to a certain page and it pops out with like a English language suggestion right. or natural language suggestion. And then all of a sudden that makes it. It's kind of interesting. I feel like we're both, and, and I think many people watching this are in the same place where it's like, oh, wow, like this is like unbelievable technology. And like now the question, it's going to do something. And the question is like, what's it going to do? Yeah, well, there's, and I think there's a, a continuum. So on the enterprise side, uh, we, we sort of already have a very strong sense of what it can do that we could never have done previously. So like where, where in, the, in a lot of the enterprise use cases, you're not competing with a, with a graphical user interface. You're, you're solving a problem that, that quite literally could not be solved previously. Like you, you literally could not go to, in our, in our business, you could not go to a data set of information that was made up by, let's say, documents and ask that data set a question and have an AI model and then have any way to actually answer that question from a large set of documents. It just was not possible. This was not something that search could even do. And now these large language models with, with, you know, combined with, with, um, uh, with, with this idea of a vector database, uh, you can now solve that problem. And so, and so in that case, there's, there's, you know, unlike the, you know, kayak inside of Facebook messenger, where you had an alternative, you could just go to kayak.com mm-hmm. and do that same experience there's literally no alternative to many of these enterprise applications with AI. Um, and that, that, you know, we're hundred percent confident is a breakthrough in, um, uh, in terms of these, the, you know, what we can now do with software on the consumer side, obviously, if, if, if you're really just replacing how was something you already would be doing today, but now just via chat interface, that has a lot of other elements that have to kind of go right around sociology and human computer interaction and all of that. Um, but, uh, but, and, and so, you know, that, that one will, uh, will certainly remain to be seen. So let's just talk uh, quickly about Llama. Uh, Llama. Uh, yep. I keep wanting to call it Lambda, but that's clearly not the <laughs> one. Um, so Llama, um, what do you, have you heard anything? Like, are you, is your are your developers interested in using it? Have they used it? What do you think it can? Like, okay, it's a big large language model. It's open source, not really open source. We're going to get to that in a second, but it's open sourced to a large extent, right? And so, what are companies going to do with this thing? Yeah. So, um, so first of all, I, I think it's an incredibly exciting that we are at this moment in technology where you have so many different um, at scale, highly capitalized, um, very, very, uh, you know, kind of intelligent organizations um, and individuals in these organizations that are all all advancing the state of the art of AI. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think I think nine months ago, you know, the common comparison, and I use this comparison as well because because I, I lived through it, was, you know, the, like ChatGPT was sort of this iPhone moment in techno- of AI because it finally made 
uh, interacting with an AI model, this sort of consumer at scale value proposition. The thing I missed at the time that now is, is very clear is like, it's like an iPhone moment, but like, but you know, on steroids, because, hmm. uh, because not only do you have iPhone and Android, but it's, you have 10 other operating systems and 10 other, you know, phone manufacturers all vying and all competing, um, for, you know, the, whatever the state of the art is, uh, and on a daily and weekly basis. Um, so, so we are, we're seeing a, uh, a level of, of scale of innovation that in a, in a platform shift that I've never, I've never seen. It doesn't even compare to, you know, cloud computing or the early web. This is a different kind of scale. Now, the impact obviously still has to, we have to kind of see how this plays out. But the fact that you've got Meta, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, Anthropic, OpenAI, <laughs> Uh, you know, just just an incredible amount of organizations all building, you know, break, uh, you know, um, uh, breakthrough either large language models or uh, diffusion models, um, I think is a is, is a pretty incredible you know moment. And um, and with Llama, um, I've only played with it for like five minutes. Um, so uh, so I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not fully up to speed on you know, how it would benchmark across across GPT 3.5 or four. But um, it, it feels fast. Uh, it, it is. Uh, the quality of answers that I've at least seen in my very rudimentary tests have been pretty, pretty, you know, uh, you know, high, high quality. And I think the play and the value proposition of a of a sort of a, a commercial use open source um, uh, large language model is that I, as a developer, could go take it. I could change the weights of it. I can fine tune it in the way that I want for my particular set of use cases, and I can kind of run it on my own infrastructure. That's a that's a pretty you know substantial mm-hmm. value proposition for, you know, a large number of developers and a large number of use cases. Um, and, but, but, but pretty akin to, um, pretty akin to how we always think about kind of open source, which is, which is if you have the prerogative and the, the skill set and the, and the need, uh, open source, uh, gives you some really great benefits. And then there's a lot of people that say, you know what, I actually don't need that level of, 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 you know, customization. I don't really need to own my own hardware. And so I'm fine with a commercial approach and so then, you know, I could just stay on on what I'm doing with OpenAI or another commercial vendor, Anthropic, et cetera. And so I think I think it's just great to have choice in this market and it's going to push the industry forward because you're going to see this sort of constant leapfrogging, um, you know, between providers. Uh, and it's just going to, again, dramatically advance the state of the art very quickly. So it's got it's going to have companies building their own applications on top of this stuff. But it's interesting because the way that you describe it, it seems like if you're smaller it might have less appeal. You'll just go with like something off the shelf. If you're bigger, then all of a sudden it becomes interesting. But this is where things become kind of complicated because this is from Insider. Um, It it talks about how it's not exactly so open source, right? So the story says in Meta's terms and conditions for those requesting access to Llama 2, the company uh, states that larger users won't be granted access to the model in the same way smaller companies and individual developers will. Any company hoping to use Llama 2 with a user base of 700 million active users a month or more is required to request use of the model. I guess that's just protecting like the direct consu- the direct competitors from using it. You're smiling. What do you think about that? I, I mean, I mean, yeah, that, that filters out four companies on the planet. So I'm not, right. um, I, I, I think, I think that that is a, uh, that's basically just a nod to saying, Hey, Google, please call us. Um, <laughs> uh, if, just give us a ring uh, yeah. if you're going to use the, uh, the language model, but but I, I don't. I don't think that's a. Um, I don't think that's going to be a uh, an issue for you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the world. Apple is in the game. Also, this is coming from Bloomberg. Apple Inc. is quietly working on artificial intelligence tools that could challenge those of OpenAI, Alphabet Inc., Google, and others 
but the company has yet to devise a clear strategy for releasing the technology to consumers. It's built its own framework to create large language models, uh, and some people inside the company are already calling it Apple GPT. It's so strange because Apple, you know, it doesn't have any like really successful consumer products. I mean, of course it has calendar and maps and whatever, but like, and it has messages. Okay. Now maybe I'm talking my, my argument uh, away, but like, it just doesn't feel like it has any like real consumery products uh, like a, a social network or chatbots or anything like that. And I don't, can't really imagine it like uh, building these models and then licensing them like an open AI would. What do you think is happening inside Apple right now? Um, yeah, well, well, so I, I, I would probably counter on, on the core, the core, uh, you know, supposition, um, the, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, uh, I basically I probably, rebutted well, myself as I was asking yeah, the question. I mean, I mean, between, <laughs> between maps and, um, and, and Apple TV and, and, uh, iMessage and photos and camera, I probably use, I probably use their software more as a consumer than anything else at the moment. But, um, mm. but you know what I mean? It's the, the type, this type of app they don't do 100%, utilities. 100%. Yes. Yes. Well, well, that's actually, so that's an interesting question. Huh. So is this a utility or is there, you know, like I, I would actually argue that, that the, you know, their play here should, should be pure utilitarian and, and, it, and, you know, it, sh- it shouldn't be a social thing. And, and to your exact point, what they're maybe less, you know, apt uh, to go and, and pursue. And so, um, so I, you know, to, to me, you kind of just like step back and you say, okay, should you be able to grab your phone and just say, Hey, can you order me a pizza? And then, and then a little dialogue comes up and it sort of says, Hey, you know, here's where we're going to order the pizza from click. Yes. Uh, if you want it, like that, that, that seems like the most obvious thing on the planet, uh, that, that Apple should just do as a, as a phone, uh, or, you know, Hey, please write down a note for me to go do this thing and remind me later. And it just like gets it right every single time. Um, and obviously, you know, that's just like Siri plus plus. Um, but I think Apple has both the device, the, the software prowess for it, um, and, um, and, and maybe they were kind of like late to large language models in this current ilk, um, by nine months or something. But, but, you know, the good news is that everybody's still buying their phones. And I think people would switch overnight if there was an integrated application, you know, right on the device that, um, that, that could solve that kind of use case. So, so I think if they, if they put their mind to it and the use case was a smart assistant on your phone that could kind of do everything, um, I would be very optimistic about their, their hit rate and their success in, um, in driving a strategy like that. I went right to Hacker News after the news broke and it was amazing to see the conversation. I mean, it's kind of what you expected. Like half of the engineers are like dreaming up these amazing products that Apple can build. And the other half is like, how about fixing Siri? Yeah. I mean, they, they really have, it's, it is embarrassing how, you know, what they've done in terms of like the assistant. They were first, they, it seems like we're still using Siri 1.0, maybe 2.0. And so like the question is like, yeah, are, are they even capable of doing this? I think they, uh, I, well, definitely they are. And, um, and I think that, I think this is one of those things, you know, Apple, um, Apple is willing to take their time and, and study a market and decide when is the right time to enter a market. And I actually would say if in, I think if in, you know, three months or six months or nine months or whatever, when they launch, you know, Siri 2.0 based on an all new large language model or whatnot, I I think, I think within, you know, a month of that happening, we will have forgotten, you know, whether we thought Apple was late or not to that. It just won't have mattered. Like Apple will just like, like they, 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 they take the time to get the thing right. And I think we are in such an avalanche of, of innovation and change right now that in a weird way, 
you know, there's a premium in uh, to kind of leaning in, understanding the market early, so you understand kind of all the different fractal, you know, ways that this is going to kind of take off. But there's not like a huge premium in in sort of like just being right out there with a product, no matter what that product is. Like it's actually the premium is is making the right decision on the right architecture on the right user experience. And Apple is not one necessarily to do iteration and beta testing in public. And so I think by the time that we see a product from them, it'll be it'll be one that has now learned a lot of the lessons that we're already talking about, about where these things kind of get get it wrong. I don't think, you know, if you, if you even just take things like hallucinations, right, you know, it's not really on brand for Apple to give you a product that's just going to like hallucinate a ton. And so they probably want to figure out like what is the right kind of, of, you know, approach that we should take where it's not just making up answers all the time for all of your questions, um, and, and so what, what is that, what, what is that, you know, architecture, um, how should it plug into, into search, uh, those kind of things, I think, I think makes sense that they're taking their time to, uh, to get right. One of the things that was really interesting in the story is they talked, it talked about how Apple views this. It's getting into this because it doesn't want to miss a potential platform change. And I think that just kind of says so much about where this is heading. Yeah. I still don't think it's necessarily like, we have to see this happen, right? Like there are still open questions again, like we talked about in the beginning about like whether people want to use the, like the chat function to begin with. I mean, I think they'll probably gravitate towards that, but uh, it's just kind of interesting to, to see how, how seriously Apple views this. And my hunch is what's going on in Cupertino right now is they're looking around. They got some vision pros lying on their desks and they're like, God damn, we just spent five or seven years trying to build for the next computing platform, which was the metaverse or whatever AR VR. And this chat thing just surprised us like a lot of people, right? Maybe meta the same way. And now they're saying, all right, let's, let's get the, you know, get it going on that front. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, I, 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 uh, I, I, you know, the good news about Apple is, is, uh, again, they, they, while they take the time to, to get things right, um, uh, when they then decide to turn on the engine, uh, they, they see it through and, and then we'll commit to it. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that they've got the right kind of prowess to, to do that if they, um, if they decide they want to, but they haven't really been able to like show that they can really excel in a paradigm shift of technology. I mean, I'll just take the voice computing thing, which is most recent, right? Like, so you had Amazon and Google, they did, I mean, obviously didn't turn out to be, you know, what a lot of people thought it was going to be, but Amazon and Google took the lead. They come out with the home pod, um, and flops. So I don't know if they're going to really be able to navigate this change. It's a, it, it seems like they're very good and maybe this is an archaic argument, but it seems they're very good at refining the iPhone and less about like thinking about brand new areas of computing. Although the Vision Pro was impressive, I, I still don't feel like they can do it. Well, I, I would say this is, I mean, th- this sort of benefits from a lot of the iPhones. Um, this, this actually dramatically benefits from a lot of the iPhones kind of innate characteristics. Um, so, so so I wouldn't I wouldn't actually think about it as sort of like out of left field or orthogonal to to the iPhone. I, I think it builds on, um, uh, you know, like, again, literally, if you just I mean, voice might even be the right way to interact with this for a lot of for a lot of the use cases, you know, v, uh, versus like an actual chat interface. And so if you, if you think about just what they are built for, mm-hmm. uh, we, we again are all, you know, you know, a a second away from being able to talk to our phones and ask our phone a question and get an answer back. And so, and, and, you know, at this point, you know, you know, building an actual large language model is, is extremely well understood. 
what, one of the interesting lines that I didn't actually fully realize or understand like a year ago, but now I've, 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 like I'm a lot more steeped in from one of my uh, kind of top AI friends is there's no secrets in AI. Um, yeah. And, and it's because there, everything is such a research forward, research first kind of approach in this space. And so if you have a space that, that really there's no secrets and, and actually right now, the skill set that seems to be required is capital and then, you know, you know, 10, 20, 50 AI engineers, but not a thousand. Um, that's something that I think Apple is extremely capable of putting together and, and then designing an incredible user interface around. So I'm going to take the other side on this one. And um, I, I would be uh, I'd be bullish on uh, on their approach, whatever they decide to do here. We're going to go to one of my favorite segments when we have you on the show, which is read Aaron's tweets or read his threads, uh, because this is applicable. Uh, so this is talking about moats. You, you say, I've probably spent more time debating where AI moats will be created than perhaps any other tech trend to date. There's something quite fascinating about AI where the deeper you are in the stack, like training models, you have risk that there's a technical breakthrough and that, and that leapfrogs your approach. And the higher up in the stack, like thin wrappers, you're at the mercy of platforms not competing with you. There will be trillions in value generated, but it's too early to tell where. It's very interesting. I mean, we have all, I mean, you basically have all, all these big tech companies and small, you know, smaller startups are all like what we've talked about up until this point. We talked about Facebook model, we talked about Apple model, we talked about Google's. Um, it, it, the question is like, really like where the points of differentiation are. So you've had these debates about where the moats are, who's going to really come up on top and, and profit from it. What are your, what are you leaning towards now? I mean, I know it's, we don't know yet, but. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll give you the two obvious ones, um, and I, I hate to bring, bring them up because they're so obvious. Um, so let, let's and, and so the first one's really quick. So um, you know, at the Nvidia level, you, an obvious winner because at the end of the day, you know, all this stuff has to run on on you know at least today GPUs, and there's a very small number of, of relevant players there. So so you kind of know the infrastructure winners just automatically. On the opposite end. Um, uh, you have you have the existing software that already has data, it already has users, it already has workflows, and AI becomes this kind of booster into the software that makes that software more useful, more valuable, more intelligent, more functional. Um, and and you know, for all intents and purposes, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sort of you know um, talking my book, but it's it's going to be you know SaaS product probably in 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 the enterprise space. It's going to be the service nows of the world, the Atlassians of the world. You know, we believe Box and, and other players because we can plug in AI into our software and just make that that a much better experience, be able to solve problems for customers that they couldn't solve before. So, so those ones are, are pretty obvious. The, the reason for the, the thread was, was on one hand, and this is actually, I mean, again, like it's funny how fast these things age. Like this was before Llama, Llama 2 that, that I wrote that. Um, you know, imagine you're going down a particular architecture paradigm and you're an AI model trainer. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're at, that, you're at that level of the stack. Llama 2 comes out. The entire world all of a sudden puts all of their energy, maybe temporary, but, but they put all their energy on Llama 2 and they're like, oh, this is now, you know, God's gift to open source, you know, AI models. Very quickly, if you were training an inferior, you know, open source, you know, LLM, your art, you might already be on the wrong architecture. Um, and now you have to kind of move over to Llama um, as the, as the new, you know, sort of um, uh, uh, as the new, you know, model that, that you, that we're all going to kind of be building on. And so the speed at which that happens in this industry, I've never seen before in terms of, of how quickly everybody will kind of just shift their, their, their lens on the, uh, on the underlying technology. Conversely, 
all the way up the stack. I think we've already seen examples where a company that maybe was building a very lightweight interface on top of the LLM of like, okay, we're going to give you an interface to produce text for some use case. We're already seeing that, unfortunately, the actual you know underlying product providers are kind of incorporating many of those features into their into their products, whether that's ChatGPT or or Bing or whatnot. And so then then it's very very hard again to survive as as kind of one of these kind of quote unquote thin wrappers. So so I think that that was sort of the the reason I, I wrote that out is like I you know it's it seems pretty tough to be an AI model uh, trainer unless you are Meta, Google, Microsoft, OpenAI, Anthropic. Um, and, and you definitely don't want to be one of these just pure thin interfaces on top. You've, you've got to really establish a, a high degree of, of, of value um, and, and probably workflow and, um, and kind of data moat um, associated with your product. Yeah. And that, that thin wrapper thing, I mean, it's really unbelievably competitive. And the thin wrappers, I mean, when, when OpenAI came out with ChatGPT plugins, it was just obvious that like you're going to have companies that will build and maybe they'll have some proprietary like relationships that they'll be able to build into the AI. Like if you're like, for instance, I don't even know, like a kayak potentially, like you have the relationship with the airline. So you could have this one bot, but even that just like, seems like it might be subsumed by AI. But the things that really seem like in jeopardy are like the character AIs where like you can, you know, chat with George Washington or whoever, whatever historical figure, like you can really just go into chat GPT and say, you're George Washington. And next thing you know, you might have something on par or like you're a Jasper, which allows people to like write better with AI. And you could just go to chat GPT and say, help my writing. Yeah. So, so, you know, I might separate those, those two slightly. I think, um, uh, I think on the character, uh, well, actually, actually I'd, I'd say both of them have a path to differentiation. Um, uh, but, but I'm not close enough to either, uh, to, to understand where that value would be, but, but, you know, in the character AI thing, you know, I think there's probably to, to the user of character AI, there's probably something psychologically different about going to ChatGPT and saying, pretend that you're this person and then interacting versus, you know, sort of the, the modality of character AI is sort of, you're, you're jumping right into that. And there's a little bit of a, a community or network effect around those characters, but I'm not, I'm not close enough. So, so, um, I'm, I'm kind of freelancing on that answer, but, um, uh, and on the Jasper thing, um, that, that was sort of one of the, one of the, you know, obviously, case, you know, current case studies of, of, you know, all like they, they had this kind of, you know, lock on a market, let's say a year ago, which is, I want to write an SEO blog post, um, you know, on some topic and, and they built like the best workflow interface for doing that. OpenAI comes out and, or ChatGPT comes out and, and it's basically completely free. You just don't have the workflow on top of it. And, um, and so how do you, you know, kind of provide enough differentiation? And so I think there's going to be some, some really interesting kind of competitive game theory, you know, lessons that, that these companies will have to figure out as, as we witness, uh, the, the, uh, the dynamics in this market. Aaron Levy's here with us. He's the CEO of Box. We're talking AI. We've touched on Apple and Meta to begin with on the other side of this break, Microsoft, Google, and then plenty more. We really have a lot to talk about. Let's talk about jobs on the other side of this break. Back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. 
Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Aaron Levy. He's the CEO of Box. Let's do some more news, shall we? So Microsoft this week, shares rose 5.8% on Tuesday, just in a day. This is from CNBC. After the company announced new artificial intelligence subscription services for Microsoft 365, the company will charge users an additional $30 per month to use generative AI tools in Teams, Excel, Word, and other places in their product suite. I don't know. First of all, I think there's, there's levels of insanity all the way down on this one. The stock market sending five, Microsoft stock 5.8% to, to the north. I mean, it, it just seems like you say AI, and this, I'm actually kind of curious how you feel about this as a public company CEO. You got to be careful, right? You got to keep the market's expectations. Like, you know, now Satya Nadella is like, dang it, like we did this one product now at my company. Now I have to justify 6% more in expectations. So that <laughs> to me is is bananas. And then the other side of it is $30 a month to do this I mean, you can go over to the Google office suite and I'm part of a test group now where in labs, you can just hit like, write it for me and yeah. Google Docs and Gmail will you give them a prompt and there, there's your email or there's your document. So it's like, wait a second, that's a lot of money for something. Again, going back to our themes, you know, no, no moat. What do you think? Well, so I, I would separate this, the pieces out. So on the market's reaction, um, I'm, I'm, you know, if everything goes as according to plan for Microsoft, actually the market's reaction weirdly makes, I mean, it just mathematically makes sense. So um, let's say they added, I'm going to just make this up, but, you know, they added a uh, hundred billion dollars of market cap or something, whatever the number is, um, you know, from that or 150 billion in, in, no in market deal. cap. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no big deal. Um, but if you just kind of multiply sort of the expected, you know, revenue generation from, from that, that uplift in price on their Microsoft 365 subscriptions. You kind of have a certain expected profit margin. You multiply that profit margin by what they're trading at in a PE ratio. And like, weirdly, it actually probably just like checks out that like, that is sort of what they actually did add in terms of market cap. Um, if they can, if they can actually generate the, the revenue and profit um, that, that's tied to this increase. So, so that, that aside for a second, uh, in terms of, you know, will the market bear that price? That is like, you know, we'll, we'll find out pretty quickly in the next, you know, th- you know, six or 12 months um, as customers start to uh, to go through these upgrade cycles. Uh, I think it's a pretty steep price, but also Microsoft is, is you know, a, a company that has a very strong, you know, command on, on the customer base. And, um, and we'll see, you know, sort of what, what ends up happening. I think right now there is a moment where where IT leaders, CIOs have to continue to show that they're they're solving AI problems. Um, that's that's sort of why Copilot, I think, has has gotten a lot of support from the market. Um, you know, this is why certainly our number one conversation with customers right now is on AI um, and customers trying to figure out, okay, how can I use AI on my content um, in a secure and safe and, and privacy oriented way? And I think Microsoft will benefit from a similar set of conversations across the the productivity stack. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they are they are certainly taking advantage of uh, of, of this moment in the market. Yeah, and what about the fact that you could go across the street to Google and get those similar services for free? 
Yeah, you know, in in reality, any mid-size enterprise or on up are, will not make the the switch on the basis mm. of AI pricing. So if you're a if you're a you know a five thousand person company and you're already on exchange and you're already on office and you're already on Teams, um, AI will not be the determining factor as to you know kind of switching out your entire your entire infrastructure. Um, so I and I think Microsoft knows that and they're in a good position to to kind of benefit from that that effective you know kind of stickiness of the of the platform. There's another story that I wanted to lead with that kind of I had to push down because we, I mean, every big tech company is making news on this this week, but let's talk about it now, which is the, it seems like people are saying that chat GPT or the GPT models are starting to degrade. I mean, this is from Insider. It's very interesting because there, there's so many different ways to read this story. And I'm very curious what you think. So it says, in recent weeks, users of OpenAI's GPT-4 have been complaining about degraded performance with some calling the model lazier and dumber compared with its previous reasoning capabilities and other output. It's so interesting. Like I, I have this theory that these chatbots have spent, you know, they were spending their time talking to open AI engineers and they were freaking smart and they learned from the people they speak with and then they got released to the general public and yeah, they're dumber. So that's one possibility. The other side is that maybe uh, they don't seem as amazing to us the more that we chat with them. What do you think? Well, um, I don't remember where I saw this. I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was from an OpenAI employee tweet. Um, but if I'm wrong on that, then then uh, then then obviously uh, don't don't go off this. But I'm pretty sure uh, an OpenAI employee claimed the the, the second explanation, uh, which is you know we're now used to this, and so you know if you kind of imagine if you imagine like going from no ChatGPT to ChatGPT, like it's like that level of jump. And now, and then, and so now this is our new baseline and we're kind of watching it over time. And our, our brains are not having that same instant kind of reaction of like, holy crap, this is the craziest thing of all time. We're now in this sort of expectation mode of like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to produce text for me with my question. And I, so, so I think now we are a lot more, um, we're, we're a lot more critical, uh, of, of now the information we're getting back because the, the core novelty is now over. Um, and now it's actually, we're like fundamentally in the, you know, are you telling me very useful, how, re, you know, reliable information? And so I think our, our level of criticality has just gone up because there's no kind of novelty factor that's sort of overweighing or outweighing the critical, you know, kind of, you know, maybe component that would we wouldn't have had nine months ago as the technology was new. So that's, I, I'm actually more probably in the camp of the latter, um, but, you know, who knows, maybe they did some kind of training update or, or, um, uh, or, or, or model weights update that, that made it dumber, but, um, but it seems like it might just be our expectation level is now um, is now off relative to to you know where, where these models are. Yeah, and there has been like a decline of interest that you see in Google uh, search trends, and there's been a decline in use, at least according to our slowing of growth, according to some third party reports. We have a professor from Wharton coming on on Wednesday, Ethan Mollick, who uh, is going to talk about the impact of this on education. I'm just going to plug that. But it is there have been some people saying it's just oh, it's the kids; they're they're not using it to cheat anymore. Right. Um, I'm curious what you think to what you think we should make of these reports and what has your personal use been like? Have you been using these bots less in the past few months? I know I have. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I'm probably, I, I, my, my usage pattern has actually been pretty constant other than the first week where I was just testing everything <laughs> and I was yeah. just typing in the dumbest stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, uh, um, uh, I would say I am a regular user for business, like, some category of like business brainstorming 
Um, so mm-hmm. if it's like 1030 at night and there's nobody, you know, in the company that I can kind of quickly run an idea off of or, or ask a question, I might go to ChatGPT and, and, you know, brainstorm a, a product category or a name or, or um, uh, you know, help, help me kind of synthesize some of my thoughts. Um, and, uh, and so I, I've been pretty much commonly using that for, for the entire existence of the product. Um, uh, we had a, uh, we had like a go, we, we had what we thought was a gopher problem, um, in our yard, um, uh, like, uh, like two months ago. And I was, I went down like a gopher rabbit hole. Oh my God. Uh, was it, you thought it was a gopher problem. It wasn't a, was it like a hedgehog problem instead? Well, we, we never validated actually what it was, <laughs> okay. but, but I learned a lot about gopher holes, um, yeah. uh, from ChatGPT. So I, I really hope it was not hallucinating. You went down a, a gopher hole rabbit hole. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So, um, so I think, I, I think it, it, you know, what, what's interesting is it very clearly is it's, it's different than search. Right. And so, and so like, I don't know that we even, I, I still, you know, in July of, of 2023, I still don't know that we've got a perfect term for what category these things are in. It's, it really is this new emergent, you know, kind of, you know, technology use case where you have this intelligent you know, thing that you can go and, and ask questions of and, um, and help you kind of work through, work through your own thoughts or, or help you sort of figure out what, what things you want to then go and dive into. I've done a lot of things where I'll go to ChatGPT, ask a set of questions, learn about a set of, a set of things, and then go to Google to then go dive really deep into the research on whatever that topic is. And I, I and so the, it clearly is not a, a one-to-one replacement as much as a new complement to sort of working through information. And I think what, what we're probably finding is actually like, like, you know, that is not, um, that's not a use case. Maybe you do five times a day in the same way that you're Googling, like what time is this restaurant open till? Um, uh, and like, and so that, that's just like a different behavior that, that we don't, you know, we don't do these like broad information, you know, sort of understanding type, type scenarios, you know, you know, five times a day, um, in our, in our personal lives, at least. There are a lot of companies that I think are trying to pull a fast one on everyone in terms of saying, you know, we're in a moment of, of you know, companies trimming down and doing layoffs and they're, and, and obviously another moment where if you say AI, the market will reward you and they'll reward, they have been rewarding companies for layoffs also. And some companies are trying to like blend the two into one. I mean, you had IBM, for instance, that said like, oh, they're not going to hire anymore because they're going to give these tasks over to AI. And I had people from IBM or who had been in IBM say, LOL, like that's not going to happen. This company is not able to pull that off. And even one of your competitors, Dropbox, right? They had to do a layoff and they said that they're going to pivot to AI. And this is from Drew Houston, the CEO there. Um, uh, Our next stage of growth requires different mix of skill sets, particularly in AI and early stage product development. So, okay, it's people building AI, but you know, there's been this meme, ChatGPT is going to take your job. It hasn't really yet. Why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm firmly, uh, and until proven otherwise by some breakthrough I haven't seen yet, I'm firmly in the camp of this is all net positive to jobs. Um, I think that, um, you know, f- first of all, we are so early on, on uh, any form of kind of like multi-operation task string together with any level of efficacy, um, to be able to replace even, even like 10 minutes of what a real person does in their job. Um, so right now, I mean, you you really got to think about these things as they can take, they can do like one discrete information oriented task 
um, basically at a time uh, before they need a human to kind of review what they've done and then move to the next thing. Um, and, and again, I don't, I don't really see an architecture paradigm that would change that um, anytime soon. And so, and so basically they can do, they can do tasks where they take some information they, they go and look across other information and they can produce something. And that, that thing that they produce can go somewhere, certainly automatically. Um, but, but usually you very quickly need a human in the loop to, to, re, to review or kind of help streamline whatever that was. And so that's just not that many jobs are, are relegated to only that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even, even, in the, uh, even in the scenarios where we've kind of like tried to say, okay, well, the paralegal job, um, you know, could, could be automated or whatnot. It's just, it's just simply not true. There's just too many right. things that, that these job functions are pulling together across, across email and a communicate and another communication tool and a manager and going into some other system and then reviewing something and then writing something. And, and the AI is just not, we're just nowhere close for the AI successfully to wrap all those, those scenarios together. And, and I'm just not seeing anything on the horizon that would change that because the cost of an error is so high that 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 no one is willing to put that uh, you know the liability on the line that would be required. I mean, look at just even that one example of the lawyer that you know used ChatGPT and hallucinated cases, and and now they're like you know they've been sanctioned or whatever the 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 you know consequence was. You know, you can't have paralegals running around everywhere being replaced by AI, just producing, you know, all this stuff that doesn't get reviewed. And then we just put it into the legal system. It just simply won't happen. Right. So, so I'm, I'm not convinced that I've, so, so, so that's the, the, that's why the, the Doomer scenario, I just don't buy right now. And now actually you flip it to the optimistic scenario. Mm-hmm. And I actually think more, more of our economy is constrained by either talent or the cost of, of, of that talent not by the demand for, for the, for the talent. And right. so I think in most areas for the, of the economy, if you could make something 20% cheaper or, or conversely 20% faster, you would probably use more of that type of resource or service than, uh, than you would then, then instead of kind of capturing the savings. And, um, uh, and that, that is, you know, there's, there's sort of, you know, two, you know, um, there's, there's sort of two complementary economic, uh, you know, um, uh, rules or, or fallacies or, or, uh, principles that, that are at play. You've probably, you know, written or, or, or talked about both. Um, you have, you have this idea of lump of labor fallacy and you have this Jeevan's, uh, you know, paradox fallacy, which is, which is both of them basically amount to, we tend to think that if we made something more efficient, jobs will go away. And actually by making that thing more efficient, demand rises because we've been able to actually get more output out of that thing. And actually the cost of that thing was, was the main reason why we, we didn't use it previously. So, so, you know, even in the example of like an engineer, let's say, if I can, if I could ship 20 or 30% more code, then we're not going to have 20 or 30% fewer engineers. We'd probably hire more engineers because, because our main rate limiter right now is how fast we can ship software to generate more revenue to hire more engineers. Right. So like this is where we got it all backwards, which is most areas of our businesses, we would actually accelerate growth. Growth. We'd accelerate our business if we could make the underlying thing that we do faster and more efficient. And so I'm, I'm much more in the optimistic camp. I basically think the pessimistic scenario I'm not seeing and, I'm, I, and I just I don't think it's going to happen within this architecture paradigm 20 years from now. Sure, let's do a podcast and find out where we ended up. But yeah. but right now, this is not something that that I feel we have to worry about. Okay, I'm just going to ask you two questions 
to wrap up. These are two I definitely wanted to get to, so I appreciate you taking them. The first is about where Amazon sits in all this. They've been very quiet on the consumer front. They have, they're actually building GPOs, which no one talks about. And their, their sort of position is that they want to make this uh, something where they can work with their customers uh, to help them build like those custom off-the-shelf models. So I'm curious. I'm just going to ask you both of them, and then, and then we can get to them. I'm curious what you think there. Second thing is you had this thread that said, uh, if Sarah Silverman ends AI, that's going to be absolutely wild. She's sued for the use of her content. And I had an, I'm working with an editor and he said that I should ask you, aren't AI companies just vampires sucking value out of human creativity, putting people out of work and returning very little in terms of value to humanity? Why should we tolerate that and who will benefit from it? So it goes back to, I think, like the intellectual property thing. Okay, that was a lot. Um, and feel free to answer as succinctly as you can. I want to make sure to be respectful of your time. Sure. Well, on the Amazon piece, I, I would say I, I probably can't fully um, uh, describe where they want their role to be. Uh, I can describe where the, where the role is now, which is that they're clearly going to be one of the at scale, you know, hyperscale or infrastructure providers hosting models from a variety of, of vendors and providers. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's a great, great spot to be in. They can host Llama. They can host Anthropic. They can help customers fine-tune llama, you know, there will certainly be, uh, you know, a thousand times more AI models that could run on Amazon uh, that are open source than, than sort of ones that are commercial and proprietary to one particular vendor. And so, mm-hmm. so their strategy is just to say, hey, you know, bring on all of the AI innovation in the world, let a thousand flowers bloom, we'll host all of that. And that, that's, I think, a very, a very practical, you know, strategic move. It, you know, do they go deeper in their own AI models? Do they help customers train models with additional services? You know, probably, um, but uh, but but I, I don't know beyond kind of them as an infrastructure player where, where they want to sit. But even in that yeah. even in that position, I think they're really good at that, um, and um, and I think they'll 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 continue to kind of profit and and build a, a very large business on just that role uh, alone. Great point, Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman. Well, so uh, so I guess a couple of things. One, um, you know. Most people that are at least on the commercial AI side, I think are at least contemplating or trying to figure out a way for the Sarah Silvermans of the world or the content producers to, to, to get paid something. Um, at least mm-hmm. that, that's, the, that's the high level commentary. I don't quite know technically how anybody accomplishes that. Um, but I think that, that there, you know, I don't think the intent is to be a, a, a vampire uh, as it were. <laughs> uh, now, now um, uh, I think, I think the other, the other thing is, um, is, you know, uh, it's, it's unfortunately just a repeat of the, the prior conversation. I just don't think they take the job of the screenwriter uh, or the, the joke writer or the animator. Um, I think they act as a, a way to, you know, boost or amplify or accelerate the work that, that one of those, those um, individuals are doing. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was chatting with uh, someone in the AI space uh, doing kind of video AI and, um, and, you know, why, uh, you you are you're you're a director or a cinematographer, and you have to go kind of figure out what's the shot you want to go do for some film, and you know you spend X amount of time thinking that through, and and you know maybe you know storyboarding it. Um, this this you know the, the 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 capability you now have is you could look at the simulations of that, and you could look at a thousand of them or a hundred of them, and then pick out exactly the kind of shot you want to go with. Mm-hmm. And now your creativity combined with the automation benefit of, of seeing lots of options and testing different scenarios, we will actually just get better content from that amazing cinematographer or director 
not because of AI, because AI made them more efficient in, in something that would have taken you know months or quarters or whatever of time now is, is, is sort of shrunk into a much shorter period. So mm. I think we, we sort of imagine AI is going to go replace those, those types of jobs. Um, and it, it won't, it will be another tool in their arsenal, just as, just as, as every new technology kind of breakthrough has become another tool for the John Favreau's and the Steven Spielberg's, this just becomes yet another way for them to continue to make better art and better content than, than they did previously. So I'm pretty optimistic on, on all of the, the kind of creative flourishing uh, that we're going to go see from, um, uh, you know, from all of this, not to mention just, I think we'll be, we'll see this as a multiplier of content and anybody who argues that it's, you know, it, that it wouldn't be good to just have more people be able to produce good content, then, then you're kind of just gatekeeping um, and and you're you're sort of just trying to constrain who should be able to make a film, who should be able to be creative, uh, which obviously doesn't I don't, I don't think is is, is practical or, or reasonable. Aaron, every time we talk, it seems there's just this avalanche of interesting AI news. So let's keep it up. I mean, great speaking with you as always. Thank you for being here. Good to see. you. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with my conversation with Ethan Mollick, professor at Wharton. Warden College and University of Pennsylvania. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Mm-hmm.